Good morning, church. We are excited to be here. Let's stand together and let's worship our Lord this morning.
You could go ahead and take a seat. My name is Tyler, and I have the opportunity to share with you about giving this morning to encourage you in our giving. I was praying about how to, you know, how to kind of go about it this week and what God was putting on my heart. Uh, and a lot of times when it comes to routines and doing things the same and stuff, I find myself always asking the question. I say this a lot, but I ask myself, why? Why is this important? Because that always helps me to realign with making sure that I, like, okay, if it's a priority, then I need to be doing it. If it's not, then who really cares? But when it comes to giving, it's been an interesting, it's an interesting thing because uh, I felt like God kind of reminded me of this idea of, of training. My dad preached a message, we, we joke about still, uh, about the difference between training and trying. I think a lot of things in faith is like, oh, I'm going to try. But there's other aspects of it that are all about training. For athletes, you train to become the best. You don't just try and hope that you're gonna be the best. Musicians, it's the same thing. I think it's anywhere where you need a profession and a skill that actually comes together. Uh, I think it's interesting when you play an instrument or, or you sing. Uh, a lot of times people would ask like, man, how do you do that so well? And the answer is the same as, yeah, there's maybe some natural gifting there, but on the other side, you practice. You have to train. I didn't just wake up one day and was like, oh yeah, I love this. This is just what I'm gonna do. There's, there is a training that's involved. And I think Paul says something about that in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 24. I'm gonna read this to you real quick. He's not exactly talking about giving, but I wanna show you how I think it also still uh, it connects to this. It says, do, not, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as, a, as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, he's specifically talking about our, our behavior, our actions, and our lives, our hearts, that we are in alignment with what God is doing. But I think the same principle applies to our giving. There's something interesting when it comes to giving consistently and when we talk about giving, uh, about this idea of, of training. That it's not just trying or doing, it's, it's training ourselves. And what are we training in? We're training in faith. Uh, the beauty of when you practice the piano or you practice singing or you practice as an athlete is when the moment comes, you have this wealth of, of opportunity, this wealth of, of information and, and, and uh, experience because you've practiced. And I think what we, what we gain when we practice our giving and we practice faith is the moment will come when we need it. And we will have already stored up because we've trained and we practice for the moments uh, when, when we're not sure where God is or if he's good or if he hears us. We'll have specific moments where we recognize his faithfulness. Just like anything else, giving is, is it's a practice. We train 
in it. When we do it consistently, we begin to see. I got an opportunity to go to Korea this last week. I had a friend, friend from high school that was getting married. And uh, he approached me last, last summer and said, I, I would love for you to be a part. I'd love for you to come and sing at my wedding. And, uh, and I was like, okay, uh, that's pricey. And he, he came back. I didn't say that, obviously. That would have been... But he was like, I, I, want, I want to pay for it all. I want to bless you with it. And I, I looked at it, I just sat there, and I, I, after I got back from this trip, I just found myself like so overwhelmed by the blessings that God pours out. Not because I'm faithful and because I'm really good at giving and all this stuff, but I really believe when we even attempt to put our hearts in alignment with the kingdom, God begins to just pour out. If you are questioning God's goodness, Give and wait to see him show up in your life. If you are questioning whether God is active in your life, put yourself in a faith position and I guarantee he will show up. Because I believe when we train ourselves towards greater faith, we get to reap the harvest of what that training brings. And there's fruit waiting for those of us who are willing to step out in faith. As the ushers come, I'm gonna pray real quick over our giving. God, I just thank you today that you cannot be outgiven. God, that you, uh, you ask our, of our hearts, you ask for faith, you ask us to trust, to come to you. God, I pray that we would be uh, a people who train ourselves in the discipline of putting you as priority in our lives and in our finances as, as, along with everything else. Father, I pray that as we do, that it wouldn't just be an obligatory thing, but that we would experience you pouring out in the most unique and incredibly cool ways. That each of us would be able to show up with stories of your faithfulness in our lives, of ways that you've shown up and just blessed us. God, I thank you that you are so good, that you are here today, and you desire to encounter us. Be glorified today, Father. In your name we pray, amen. Well, while the buckets are going around, there's a couple ways you can give, but I want to give you a couple of announcements. We got some things going on in the life of our church. First and foremost, if you are a fifth or a sixth grader, you are dismissed to head over to the other building for uh, your morning lesson. I don't know if we call it Sunday school anymore. Is that just an old church thing? I don't know if they call that that anymore, but Sunday school, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's what it is. Um, but we got a couple things. If you are new, we would love for you to stop by the hot spot. We have a gift just for you, just a little something to say that we're grateful that you came uh, to let you know that we, we love you. But also, we have a few things going on. Our baby bottles are due next week. If you have participated in this, in this with CareNet, we partner every year with CareNet who helps moms uh, who are fi in financial strengths and uh, we fill up these baby bottles with either change or you can put cash or you can just put a check in there and be done with it. Uh, but this goes to moms who are raising their kids, maybe they're uh, financially unable to or they're doing it alone. Uh, and so we, we use that to help them. But next week, you bring it back on Father's Day next week so that we can uh, send those back to CareNet. Speaking of Father's Day, where's my dad at? 
All my dads in the room, we have, next week is a special week just for you. We have a little gift, just a little something uh, to show you some love, because we know dads need some love every once in a while. Even if they don't show it, they could use it. Right, dads? The last and final thing is we have a MOPS leadership interest meeting, uh, June 22nd. Honest, it's a Saturday at 10 a.m. at Butler's, the coffee house in Palmdale by Walmart, across from Walmart. Uh, if you are interested in being a part of MOPS, MOPS is our mom's group, uh, stands for Moms on Purpose. If you're interested in being a part, but also find that you may wanna grow your capacity a little bit and get involved in a leadership uh, capacity, this is an info meeting for that. You're not committing to it by showing up, you're just saying, saying that you're interested and you may wanna partner with MOPS. Cool? That's all we got. So why don't you go ahead and stand up. This is a moment for you to greet someone next to you. Love on them. Or fake it till you make it. can grab a seat. Wow, so good to have you guys here today as we kind of roll into the summer, finally getting a little bit of that sunshine and warmth that we've been looking for. And I'm glad you guys have made it out today as we continue our series. But before we do that, uh, part of uh, what we do at Journey is, man, we, we're about three things, loving God, loving others, and really taking that love to the world, serving our world. And as part of what we do to serve our world, uh, we take a portion of what you give, so you guys, we, you know, we, we really believe in percentage giving, and we say, hey, tithing is one of those things we really believe in. So as a church, we do the same, so we take what you guys give and what we as a staff and everybody else contributes, and we take percentage of that, 10%, and we put it back to work in other areas. Like, there's the internal, the family, the church serve. You can serve in kids and youth and tech and all those things. Um, we believe in city serve, so we... We take it to our community. There's several ministries. Tyler talked about one that we support right here or organizations that we just feel are making a difference, so we support those. And then we have the Global Serve where we are partnering with people who are doing good things in our world. One of our partners is coming this morning. This is Chris Arista, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about what's happening in his corner of the world. He's one of our partners in Costa Rica. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. Good morning to everyone. Really, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, just get to share a little bit about what's going on back home in Costa Rica. So you are what we talk about as a missionary, right? What does a missionary do? Yeah. 
Well, the Great Commission says to go throughout the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them the word of God. So that's what we do in Costa Rica. That's what we've been doing for a few years now. For a few years. So tell us a little bit about how you got to be there. Well, honestly, just even kind of thinking about a little bit about what Tyler was sharing, um, there's a verse that I really love, and it says like this in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. You know, God is the faithful one. He's the one who does the work. Nothing really depends on us. You know, and it's an awesome privilege to even participate and see what God does. Rachel and I, my wife, uh, she's here. You guys will meet her out in the back after service with our three kids out there. But we met as missionaries in Mexico. And we got married in Mexico, and we believe the Lord was calling us out. So as we were looking to see where the Lord was leading us, he led us to Costa Rica, somewhere we didn't even know. Actually, we thought it was part of Mexico. But we went over there. We went over there to uh, uh, direct the Bible college. And as we were there directing the Bible college, it was an awesome time to equip people in ministry with uh, minds focused on missions. But after a while, that had to close down. And the Lord led us to pastor a small church there in the community. We're about four hours south of the airport of the capital. So we're there, and we began um, pastoring this church. And really, the Lord grew it into something that is just amazing today. Uh, we've really grown into uh, quite a family there. And as we've looked to see what the Lord would have us do, we started going out and evangelizing. People began to come to the Lord. People were getting saved during the services there at the church. And as we were praying and seeing where the Lord would have us even reach out further, we started a school of ministry for the pastors and teachers uh, and leaders in the community around there that, so that they could get equipped so that they could serve the Lord faithfully. And honestly, uh, we can't begin to describe how good God has been, how faithful he's been to do his work there, and it's really been an amazing time for us to serve there. So what you may not realize is that part of what happens when you put stuff, uh, money and gifts in the offering or you're one of the weekly contributors— is that you are literally supporting a ministry that supports ministry after ministry after ministry. So they're raising up future leaders because Jesus was very clear, go into all the world, preach the good news, take the gospel to all nations. And this is our answer to that. We want to be a partner with those who are doing that. So by them raising up leaders, they're just reaching into further and further areas of their world and our world. And so that's exciting stuff. How can we, like, support you guys? What, what can we do to help you? Well, we have a prayer card out back, and we'll be passing this out as you guys leave. But it has a few things that you guys can pray for us about. Uh, one of the things that we really don't want to do is put the Lord in a box. You know, we mm -hmm. believe that he can do way more than what we can imagine. So as we look to the future, we really want to have the first uh, accredited Christian school there in Costa Rica with wow. Costa Rican um, curriculum in Spanish, fully Spanish. And we also were praying about having a seminary or a Bible college full time for Spanish, for Central America, for pastors, Beautiful. leaders that want to get uh, equipped and trained for the ministry. So as we look to the future, we'd ask that you guys would pray about that. Our information is right here on this card. So we can pray. We can uh, sign up for your newsletter, your email, whatever, so we can kind of see what's going on. And then the financial support. 
So you guys are out there to make connections. So not only as a church do we make contribution, but they can actually take, you know, a little bit of support personally and give it to you guys monthly, right? Absolutely. If the, if the Lord leads you guys to give to us personally or especially to the ministry itself, you guys can do that through the webpage that's right here um, and also through my email. If you guys want any more information, there's a list in the back where you can sign up and put your email and we'll, get, we'll add you guys to our newsletter. We want to pray over this gentleman and his family. And so, Chris, I'm just going to put my hands on you as a representative of God. God, we just thank you for what's going on in other parts of the world. We're right here, and this is all kind of our whole world sometimes. But your heart breaks for the whole world. Your whole world is what you came to die for and to offer your life in exchange for their freedom, their forgiveness, their ability to know you and walk with you. And I thank you that the Aristas are finding their like fulfillment of that dream in Costa Rica and we just pray your blessing would continue upon them that you would just continue to resource them and the dreams you put in their hearts may they come to pass and may it be according to your commands and your will as we reach into all the world bless them prosper them and Lord God multiply it in Jesus name we pray amen amen, amen. thank you Pastor God bless you, my friend. love you guys God bless you Man, I'm proud of Journey, and I'm proud of the way that you guys are just very giving people, and it allows us to do some amazing things far beyond the little, uh, like, partnership we have right here in our town. So, we've been in a series the last number of weeks, and we're kind of coming to the tail end as we wrap up, but we're, we're talking about this idea of bottled up. And what we've been looking at is the fact that there are all these emotions, all these experiences that we have in life, and they tend to kind of just go inside of us, right? We started talking about the fact that every now and then, you and I will have something that brings something out. Like, you'll have a situation where you're like, man, I don't know where that came from. And Jesus comes along and says, I do. It came from your heart. Like, no, 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 no. Um, um, that's not normally who I am. I, I am. I'm not like that. And he goes, I know, because you have filters. What we talked about is the fact that in church world, we learned that there are certain behaviors that are just not appropriate. And if we're going to be Jesus followers that, you know, he's teaching us how to live. Well, some of us, we take an external approach by just, you know, just kind of haranguing all of those behaviors and making, corralling them and trying to make ourselves really good people externally. We really develop good filters so that those things don't slip out. But every now and then it's like, man... I, I don't know where that came from. I'm really sorry, Jesus. I apologize. I won't say that again. He goes, um, actually, you will, but you're missing the point. The point is that you're trying to filter externally. You're trying to stop things from going out. But what I want you to realize is where that's coming from. It's, it's not about getting the, the filters better. It's about getting the heart purer. Because it's, it's not about building a better filter. It's about cleaning the junk out of our hearts. Jesus was really clear. He said, he said that of all those things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. He's like, hey, all that stuff that we do, all that stuff that we say that sometimes shocks or surprises us or our mom or our spouse or whomever, he said, I know where that's coming from. Do you? You think it's because you don't have a good enough filter. But what I know is it's because you don't have a pure enough heart. It all comes from inside of you. So what we've been saying in our series, 
rather than just stuffing all that in and just getting really, really good at pushing down our experiences, our emotions, our feelings, and all those things, we want to open it up. We want to just get really, really authentic. And I love that about our church. I mean, if I were just sitting down for coffee with you, I would just say, hey, just let's just be real. Open up your heart. What's going on inside there? Because that's what God is after. Of course, the management of our behavior is an important part of life. We, of course, we need that. But Jesus was saying to get true transformation, it's not just doing the outside. It's dealing with what's inside. And that would change everything. And that's why we're saying, hey, if our hearts are pure, we don't need great filters. We will have the filter inside if it, with a pure heart. King Solomon, wisest man who ever lived according to the scriptures other than Jesus himself, he said this, above all else, no matter what else, get this, right? Guard your heart. Not your mouth. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. He's saying, listen, what you need to do, and we don't have schools for this. All right, you can go to school and learn about the heart in a physical way. But when you go through high school, you go to junior high, you go to college, they're not having classes about how to manage your heart. The heart in the scripture is the center of your being. It's where your, your emotions, your soul, your, your being, your essence is. And he's saying the essence of who you are is what God wants to work in. Not just behaviors. Those come as a result of the internal work he does. But that's why we want to work on this. And that's why we're saying, let's, for this series, let's just take off all the masks and open our hearts and say, okay, here's where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. Between us and God. And today I want to talk about another area that actually takes it between us and someone else, perhaps. This is an area of our heart that can absolutely stun, stunt our growth or... If we deal with this, it can change our life. It's the topic of guilt. I know somebody here is like, oh, see, I come back to church first time. And that's churches love to talk about guilt. Pastors love to preach about guilt. And then they want to take an offering and make me pay for their guilt. You know, it's like, what? I, I don't know why I come. I'm just like, this is the thing. For some people, that's what church is all about. It's a big guilt factory. We get to find out how terrible you are. And how God's so disappointed with you. As a matter of fact, some of you, my guess would be, you left church at some point in your life because you were experiencing some of this and you just didn't feel like there was any hope in it. And you didn't know, and you didn't know what to do with all of that, so it's just easier to leave and just kind of sort it on your own than to be reminded. You're just like, man, if I wanted to feel bad, I'll just put on a swimsuit and look myself in the mirror. I mean, I don't need you to tell me how terrible I am. I, I, I find myself hard enough on myself I don't need you to dogpile. But here's the deal. Jesus did not come to produce guilt. Jesus did not come to beat you up for your sin. Jesus came because you could not fix what was broken, and he's the great physician. He saw you could not change about what you want to change, and he's the great power source to give you the ability to change. He had, he had the right, if anybody did, to make us feel guilty, to point out our wrong, because he had none. But that's not Jesus. That's not how he approached things. For God so loved the world that he came. He gave his only, forgot, his only begotten son. He set us into the world. It said, and he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
You know John 3.16. Well, look up John 3.17. There's a whole lot in that passage we need to know. Jesus did not come to beat you up over your sin. He came to free you from it. Here's the deal. If your experience with God is all about guilt or shame or about what you don't get right, if that's all you've been taught and that's how you've lived, I'm so glad you're here today. Because we're going to unpack this a little bit deeper. And I think some of you need this message desperately. Because here's what you may not know. In Romans 2, 4, Paul is talking about the way God actually transforms us. And this is what he says. He said, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness. It is God's kindness that leads us back to God. It's God's kindness that leads us to change, not guilt. Because honestly, we all know this. Guilt doesn't work anyway for long. It only works for a little bit. But eventually, you get tired of carrying it, and you just kind of chuck it off. Guilt only brings temporary results. And friends, we're all going to battle guilt. You know why? Because we're guilty. That's why I feel guilt, because I do stuff wrong, and I do a lot of stuff. And if you, if you mess up, and you mess up a lot, you're going to feel it. And the point at which you stop feeling it is the point you need to get in for instant heart surgery. Because that means it's just piled up so much, you no longer feel it. You're numb to it. And seriously, that's a very dangerous condition. But for the moment today, just for the next few minutes, I want us to open our hearts up to the light of God's grace, to the kindness that actually leads us to the transformation that God wants to bring. And this is what we need to know. God's purpose is not to bury us with guilt. He's trying to give us a way to deal with it so it won't destroy us. Your guilt is already destroying. It's already working you over. It's already leaving you exhausted and frustrated and weak and shameful. To understand what God is up to, we're just going to have to unpack this a little bit. So to understand and deal with guilt, we need to understand it and deal with it in terms of what it is. It's a, it's a debt debtor relationship. And, and the best way to look at it maybe is to say, let's look at it like a debt you owe. Now, how many of you have ever had a friend or somebody that borrowed money from you or something caused them to be in your debt and you see them? You see them all out of, okay, you run into them at the mall. This person owes you money. Maybe it's a significant amount. And you run into them and it's like, hey, how's it going? It's all good. How's the wife? Good. How's the kids? Fine. How's the weather? How's the sports teams? Anything and everything, but I owe you and you're, it's, it, but it's there. It's between you. You can see, it's like a cloud that just kind of descends over the relationship. And until the debt is settled, it's always there. That person owes me. And it creates a debt-debtor relationship. So you are actually in debt to somebody you owe. And they're in debt to you when they owe you. And it's kind of like money or anything else. It's just hanging there till you deal with it. And until the debt is paid... That relationship is not going to be the same. And that's how it is with our lives. That's how it is when guilt gets lodged in our heart. Even when we don't know it's lodged in there, there are certain things going to come up, certain things we hear, certain passages the pastor preaches about, or some verse you hear in a song or something, and it's going to bring it up. And it's going to be there. And it's kind of like, ah, I've got to just ignore it. When I ignore it, it feels better. No, it's only for a little while. That's what guilt does. It, guilt basically says, I owe you. I owe you. And you think about how it works. 
When somebody lies to us, say repeatedly, they rob us, they owe us the truth. They rob us of the information. They rob us of the truth. When somebody robs you of the truth, guess what? You cannot make accurate you know, uh, assessments about the relationship. You can't know what really is going on. So you're in, you're in the blind spot, right? You can't know where you really are as a friend or as a couple or as whatever. When somebody lies, you don't have the information. They rob you of the ability to make wise choices about going forward. It's destructive. A man, maybe literally, he steals, he leaves his family. He steals from his wife's future. He steals from her financial security. He steals from her the promise that he made that he was going to be there till death do his part. He steals from her that maybe self-esteem, that honor, that dignity, the dreams that they shared together. He steals her reputation. He maybe steals from the, from the children as well. The father who would have been in the household. He, he may steal from them what the tucking them in at night and reading the bedtime stories and the intimacy they would experience and the traditions and the family gatherings and those moments that they would share. He steals from all of those things. There's a debt created, right? The birthdays and Christmases. And most guys who leave their families don't think about what they've taken. But the first time their little girl looks in their eyes and says, why don't you love mommy anymore, daddy? They feel it. And it's there, just like every other time you owe something. It's that debt. It's the guilt. And it tastes terrible. And so what we do, we, we offend somebody. We create a debt. And that's why it's like, I lie to somebody, I owe them the truth. If I cheat somebody, I owe them whatever I cheated. If I slander, I owe you. If I am cruel to you, I owe you. If I hurt somebody or do wrong to somebody, I owe you. I owe you. It creates guilt. And that's why we say so commonly, I, I owe you an apology, if we're really good about it and honest about it. I owe you an apology because you do. You know you owe them. Or, or we say, so, let me make it up to you, right? I've wronged you. I've offended you. And I've stolen something from, I owe you an apology. And that's the truth. We owe. So the, the fact is guilt creates this debt-debtor relationship. That you can't feel good in a position to where you owe somebody. It's, it's kind of like the way guilt works, it's kind of like we start out with a, a heart that's just wide open. And it's just, just like waiting for all these experiences. And, and we start out by taking some of these experiences and we just add them. And, and maybe there's that thing that you did in childhood that you kind of felt guilty about. And it kind of puts a little bit of a heaviness to your life. And then that, that just kind of rolls right into your teen years. And in your teen years, you add to that another little bit of guilt. And, and you carry that around. And, you, and then all of a sudden, you're in your college years. And then you add this one. And that gets heavier. And then you say, oh, man, you get into your work life, and then there's Vegas, and then there's what stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas, it went in my backpack, and now I carry it around everywhere I go, and every time I try to make a move and do something with an open and generous heart, I just, I have all this stuff, and it gets heavier and heavier, and this is just four or five. What about the people who are carrying hundreds and thousands of experiences and decisions and events that just kind of drag you down, down, down? And we wonder why there's an epidemic of suicide. We wonder why people are always feeling depressed and why we need narcotics like we've never needed before and antidepressants and all of these things. Why all of us are feeling like there's just this hopeless sense about life and we're carrying stuff we were never meant to carry. 
our hearts are full of this stuff, and we wonder why there's no room for real deep relationships. That is what we're in and under. The good news, that is why we're here today. Something inside of us recognizes what's going on. You've done something, and the guilt begins to build. You realize, I want to do that, and pretty soon, do something about that, and pretty soon, guilt morphs into something else. Guilt actually morphs into this sense of shame. And that shame, when we don't know what to do with, develops anger. And then it de develops into something else, which is blame and accusation, where the finger gets tired of going this direction, so it starts looking for somewhere else to land, and it's your fault, and it was you did this, or somebody else. And pretty soon we're pointing at everybody else, and we're alienating others in our lives. But do you know who guilt feels and is, at the end of the day, most angry at? Do you know when the lights go out and all of this settles down and there's nobody else to point at who we really hate the most for what we've done? That's when the guilt comes back and the finger turns around and it's ourselves we're disgusted with. It's ourselves that we hate. It's ourselves that we're so ashamed of. I let myself down. I swore I never would and I did. I swore I would always and I didn't. I promised to be a man of integrity and I compromised. I'd said I'd never again, and, and that's where I found myself. I blew it. And that self-frustration and loathing grows. You didn't meet your expectations. You didn't live up to your promises. You couldn't keep your word or whatever. Your wife, your wife swore she'd never let you down. She'd never you know, cheat on you or whatever. Guilt drives this kind of thing. So first of all, it drives a wedge in us where we literally feel disappointed in us. And then it drives a wedge in our relationships between us first and God. Because when we feel guilty, what was the first thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned? And they heard God was headed their way. You could hear his crunching of leaves or whatever. It said they heard the voice of God walking. In, and I don't know how you hear the voice of God walking, but they did. And they heard him in the garden. And what did they do? They hid. And this is from the time a child is old enough to do wrong. What do they do? It's the first time you see them sneak behind the couch when they're doing something they knew they shouldn't do. And when they, they're too innocent to know, they say, don't look at me. Because they know there's something that's creating guilt in their life. It's the first time they begin to say, oh, I didn't want to be seen by you. And you see them trying not to be seen by you. And you know that there is something going on in their little mind that identifies I'm doing wrong and I don't want to be seen. That's what happened with Adam and Eve, and that's what happens with us. When we violate something God gives us, commands us, invites us into, requires of us, we drive a wedge between us and God, and there's a sense of shame, so there's a, there, it's followed by hiding. Some of us leave the church. Some of us leave a church. Some of us leave a relationship over that sense of shame. And some of you are disconnected from God today because you don't know how to repair that. And you felt it and you carry that. Or you're unwilling to. And there's this backpack of guilt that just kind of weighs you down. And you're embarrassed. You don't pray because you don't really think God's listening because you know what you've done. And how could God talk to you with that between you? There's a debt and you can't pay it. And it drives, it's, it's like, by the way, I get this a lot. People come to me and say, man, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I feel so far from God. And I'm like, well, let's unpack. 
Let's open your heart for a little bit. And uh, you don't have to tell me the gritty details of all the nitty gritty, but I just, let's just unpack and just kind of rehearse some of the things that you've bottled up and that you've stuffed and that you need now to unburden yourself from. And if you don't want to say the words, just tell God in my presence, I'm taking that thing that happened back then and I'm giving it to you. I don't care to know your stuff, but it's, it's really not important to me unless it's against me, but you need to say it. You need to get it out. And I've watched people. Guilt corrupts their spiritual life. And I've watched them walk into freedom. But then finally, uh, we have to understand that not only does it break our love and trust in ourselves, not only does it divide us and the people around us, not only does it turn our hearts in an angle away from God and disconnection from God, it, it's very obvious we can't fix it by ourselves. This is the challenge. This is what Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. I love another passage, I mean, another translation says, and who can know it? You can't even understand why you do what you do. How are you going to fix it? Right? But that's by us. We can't fix it. But that's why God came. God looked into us as, as he did Adam and Eve and was like, listen, what's gone on in you, you cannot fix. You've broken something you can't pay for. You ever gone into a store with one of your kids and they knock something off a shelf or they all of a sudden you realize that you're in deep? It's like you did it. You bumped into something and like, oh, no, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? What happens when you wake up to the fact that I have broken the covenant with God? I've broken something that I can't fix. I can't afford it. You wrecked your mom's brand new car. And it's like, now what? Here's what we find in Scripture. Sometimes we try to manage it by ourselves. We find people all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament trying to deal with their shame and their guilt on their own. They come up with shortcuts. They don't work, right? We try denial. We tell ourselves, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm not really guilty. It was their fault. It wasn't me, or it's not that big of a thing. Why can't they get over it? It wasn't totally my fault. I couldn't help it. Look what my father was like. Look what my mother was like whatever. And we try to minimize it. We try to deny it. We try to rationalize or justify or whatever. And we, and we try to rename it. But it never heals the wound and it never goes away. We just keep running back into it every time we come around a corner. There it is. Out of nowhere. Sometimes we just get so busy we don't feel it. I'm always, you know, like, I'm always just amazed at what links we'll go to not to have to face ourselves and our background, our past, and our shame. People who will turn on the TV in every room of their house, they've got to have noise. And everywhere they go, it's got to be music, noise, conversation, activity. Busy, 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 busy. Because the minute I slow down, the minute I stop moving, my heart catches up with me. And my guilt comes back. I literally know people that cannot have a moment of quiet in their world because they don't like what happens in their mind and soul when things get silent. Then maybe it's, we, we, we just, we try to make up for it by doing good to kind of balance the wrong. So you left your kids, went to another relationship. Maybe you cheated on that spouse, so you try to make up for it. So you just lavish gifts on your kids. Or you work too much, and you're not around, so it's like, hey, honey, I know I'm going to be gone again, but let me, hey, here's that new Xbox thing, you know, or here's the new phone, or here's whatever. And we try to do good to counterbalance, but we know that doesn't work, Right? 
We try to make up for it. We try to settle a debt that we know we owe, but we don't ever fix it. So what do we do? Two ways that we can handle our guilt. One, repay the debt in full. If it's a financial debt, it's like, whew, paid it off. Finally, I got out from under that thing. Well, I feel so much better. And if it's a financial or business debt, you can do that. That's the benefit of it being money or stuff. But if it's relational, how do you go back and fix a first marriage when you know you were really responsible for a lot of bad stuff? How do you fix somebody's reputation when you lied or slandered or did what you did? How do you go back and take back stuff that you did 5 and 10 and 20 years ago? How do you go back and fix something you broke that you cannot afford to repair and you couldn't possibly? How do you replace the sadness, the emptiness, the loneliness of somebody else's life? How do you do that? Well, we don't. So paying back the debt in full isn't always possible. So what is the solution? Well, here's the final one, and here's where we're going to kind of rest today and unpack. I asked the person I wronged to cancel my debt. That's the only thing we can do sometimes. I literally confess my sin, ask for forgiveness, and ask that they relieve the debt, that they let me go free. Now I know that sounds crazy. So let's, let's kind of unpack this a little bit. The Bible talks about repentance all the time. As a matter of fact, confession and repentance are just kind of like wed throughout Scripture. And it basically was all throughout Scripture it was understood if you did wrong, you would go and make right by confession, first of all, owning it, and then by repentance or turning away from that thing and making reconciliation. In other words, you don't hide from it. You don't get free from it until you've dealt with it. So in Scripture, there was this all, this all this idea. That's why when it says John the Baptist came preaching a gospel of repentance, repentance includes these two things, confession, owning it, and turning from it. That's Jesus came on preaching the kingdom of heaven and repentance. Jesus was preaching the same thing. That there's an experience that means awakening and turning. When we own our guilt through confessing our sins and asking forgiveness, that's how we start. We own it through confession. We change our ways through repentance by turning away from our way, going God's way. So what is godly repentance? What does it mean to really repent? What does that mean? Because I used to hear that all the time. Repent, you sinners, repent. There's people who used to hold placards in some cities, and sometimes here you see repent of your sin. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? Does that just mean feel really, really guilty about it? Are you just trying to make me feel bad? No, that's remorse. When you feel really bad about something, it means no, but no action follows. That's just remorse. Repentance is a mean that literally means I'm going one way. I understand something. I am, have an awakening. So there's a change in my mind, and then there's a change in my direction. There's a change in my mind and heart when I come to an awareness of something, and I change direction. That's repentance. I'm going my way. I wake into the fact that God is actually there and real and has a plan for me. I awaken, I turn, and go his way. Repentance means change. Mind, heart, and direction. What is confession then? What is godly confession? Admitting your sin, taking responsibility. And can I just stop right here for a minute? And this is something, I've been doing this for a while, and I, I, I get to the point where I get really, really tired of people who want to make a decision to start bringing healing to a relationship, and they begin it like this. Hey, listen, I'm really sorry, but. I'm really sorry I hurt you, but. 
I'm really sorry that happened, but, and I, I'm just telling you, I hate that. I'd rather not hear an apology at all than to hear something followed by but. Because if you say but in the middle of a sentence, everything you said in the first half to me is worthless. Pastor, I really love you, but. Honey, you're, 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 just, you're just a great dad, but. I mean, yeah, just go ahead and get to the straight truth. Just don't even butter me up because all that is doing is you're trying to soften the blow. Just hit me. We'll, we'll both deal with it. But don't bring me a, oh, Pastor Dave, this is, I really like this about you, but. You don't go into an apology that way. That's how we start making excuses, right? I'm sorry, but, you know, we were both wrong. I'm sorry, but, you know, you kind of started it. I'm sorry, but, you know, I just have a temper, and it comes, my dad had a temper, my grandma had a temper, you know, you know, Abraham Lincoln had a temper. I mean, every, every, I got to blame it on somebody, but, I'm sorry, but, I was abused. I'm sorry, but, 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 keep your butt to yourself. Don't even bother bringing it to me. It doesn't matter to me. If you're going to make an excuse, just don't even start. Here's the problem. I've done this so many times. Because I don't want to own it. I don't want to feel like it's all me. But here's what I realize. Even when it's not all me, because it's, it takes two to tango, but here's what I realize. This is not where God starts healing our hearts when we put it on somebody else. God starts healing our hearts when we own what we've done, and there's no but to it. You said don't eat of that fruit. I did. I'm guilty. You said not to lie. I lied. I'm guilty. I mistreated you. I spoke ill of you. I, I said some horrible things. I, I did some awful stuff. I am sorry. None of this, oh, but you took it the wrong way. I meant it this, but you know, you took it wrong. None of this. This A real, actual apology, a heart healing. Again, this is not just because I'm trying to give you something to do, make you feel bad for a little while, send you home because that way oh, at least you felt something. No, I want you to... I want you to be right with God, with each other. Here's how we get the bottled up junk out so we can heal and have a better, powerful life. I'm sorry, and I was wrong, period, right? I was an idiot. I caused you pain. I said some horrible things. No mention of anything on their end. That is an apology. I want to take full responsibility for what I did have no mention of anything else but what I did. That's what I'm here to confess. And you know what? Leave, leave the rest with them and God. You own your stuff. That's all you can do. I'm sorry. I was thinking of myself. I'm sorry. I sinned against you. I sinned against God. No excuses, justifications, rationalizations, exclamation, exclamations. You took none of this. You took it the wrong way. It's I did wrong. And then we work to make restitution. This is a scriptural, con I mean, uh, uh, concept that everybody needs to understand. Scripture is so big on this, what to do after the apology. It's up to you to own your stuff sincerely. Use I statements. When you apologize, only use I statements. I did this. I sinned. I failed. I lied. I hurt. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Confess and then ask forgiveness. I believe I hurt you in these ways. Would you forgive me? I did these things. I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? And then try to make amends. How can I make it right? How can I begin to, to gain your trust again? How can I renew? Is there any hope for the relationship going forward? And can I, can I do something to help us move past this? What can I do? Now that is a godly confession, repentance, 
and a chance for restoration. Must follow through. Man, you got to go through on your end. And, this, and this is, it's not up to you how they respond. There's been many times when I literally felt like, and I believe, and whoever was there would believe the same with me, that I was actually the recipient of most of the ugliness, but I dished it out in response. I don't own what they did. I can only own what I did. And like, I just have to say, listen, that is not the way I wish to behave. And I'm sorry for the words I said to you. I'm asking your forgiveness. I leave what they did between them and God. I'm not cleaning their heart. I can't. I need my heart clean. Forgive me. I don't want to be that person. I'm asking you, what can I do to reconcile? You can't force or manipulate it. You just leave it on them. But take responsibility. Go through the person. Go to them directly and deal with them directly. Numbers 5, 6, and 7. See, this is when they left Egypt. 400 years of slavery. They didn't have a social system of their own. They didn't have identity of their own. They didn't have their own com commands or we call a constitution. They didn't have bylaws. They didn't have a way to operate in relationships. So God gave them what we call the Mosaic Law, the Torah, the Old Testament covenant. He gave them that. And he said, here's how I want you to treat each other. Numbers 5, 6. If any man or woman betrays the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they're guilty. Now, catch this. If anybody does wrong and they betray God, how do I betray God? By hurting another person. Wait, that's, then, that's against the person. God's saying, no, for every person you offend, you offend me because they're my child. They're my, I, I made them in my image. It's kind of like, man, you talk ugly about my kid. You could talk about me all day long, and you could say some really hurtful stuff. I'll get over it. You try to hurt one of my kids, and I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of difference between that and hurting me. I will let you hurt me, but man, I feel very, very, very defensive about my kids. I don't know if that's what it is, but this is something God's saying. Listen, when you offend somebody else, you offend me. And you've wronged them, you've wronged me. When you hurt your brother, your sister, your cousin, your, you betray God. When you hurt your husband, your wife, your kids, you, you literally wound God. And then he goes on. If they do that, they must confess their sin to whom? To God, because they offended him, and to the person, because they offended them. Two confessions. And they must make full restitution for what they have done adding an additional 20% and returning to the person who was wrong. I love this because, hey, you took money from me, you stole from me, well, that's all right, you give it back plus 20%. That's pretty good interest, right? Steal again, that's fine, as long as you pay me back, 20%. No, it's the idea is, you're going to remember what you did, and you're not going to want to repeat it. When you have to go to somebody and own what you did, and there's reconciliation in it, it stops that behavior. It's going to change it. That's hard. We confess it to God, and we go to make it right with that person. Confess to God. Confess to the person. Make restitution where you can. That's God's formula for destroying guilt. Confess to God. Confess to the person. And make restitution. Do the best you can to bring health to the relationship and bring it back to even. That's God's formula. Later on, Jesus talking about a similar situation he's given us the new covenant the new way of operating in this kingdom of life he's introducing he says this matthew 5 23 and 24 therefore if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift to god this is interesting in the first century of course they had to pack their animal for sacrifice. If they sinned, God was allowing them to 
purge themselves of the guilt by, because again, sin always costs life. That's what it is. Sin is death. And he's saying, I'll let the animal die instead of you. So the sacrificial system was instituted so the person could actually be made right with God just because blood was spilled for sin. So like when you do that, when you come and you're getting ready to make your offering and you're getting ready to bring yourself right to God and you realize somebody else has something against you, he said, stop, don't go to God first, go to them first. What? God's like, listen, you, you, you know somebody has something against you. Not you have something against somebody, but you actually remember somebody's holding a grudge, somebody has something against you, you've hurt somebody, wounded somebody, frustrated somebody, whatever, and it's coming to your conscious memory. Leave your gift, go deal with it, and then come back. And then your conscience is absolutely clear when you come to me and worship me, you and I. No hindrance, no plug in the pipes. You have that freedom to worship me from a clear conscience. I love that. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can be healed. Passage, 1 John 1.9. You may want to memorize this. You, may, you probably should mark it. You probably should stick it in your memory. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness. So God will be the forgiver. God will cleanse you. But then he tells us in James that we're to go to that person. We're to go to each other and pray for each other. We're to go and make confession to each other too. So there's the God side where we get our hearts clear before God. And there's a relational side where we get our hearts healed with each other. And it doesn't say, by the way, confess your sins to your pastor. I get to hear a lot of crazy stuff. And sometimes I'm let you like, oh, I, I didn't know that. I would not have suspected that. Very interesting. You'll never hear another word about it. But it's like, wow, I didn't need to know that. Well, some people will say, I'm Catholic, so I, go, I confess to a priest. Really? That's great. But nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to, to confess to a pastor or a priest. That was not the way of Jesus. That's a great system to somehow disemburden yourself, have somebody in on the story, have accountability or somebody. But I'll tell you what happened in my world. As I was growing up, a lot of my friends were, were Catholic, and I was you know, Protestant, and so we all had our system. We thought we had learned how to work the system because we'd go sin all week long. My Catholic buddies was like, you do whatever you want. As long as you go to confession, you just got to tell the priest, and you're good, and you go and, you know, and, you go and do it again. And it's like they figured they'd work the system. They figured out a way to do what they really want to do and still be okay with God. I don't think that's how it works. But in my church, we did a similar thing. We'd go do what we were going to do, and then we'd feel really terrible about it on Sunday. We'd confess... We'd even have to, and, you know, like they, they had a little steps that came up on the platform. We called it the altar. And we'd go and we'd bow down and say, God, please forgive me after church or something. And so we had our own way of purging our guilt. Well, that's one step. But God is not asking you to confess to a pastor or a priest or some in between. If you don't have anybody else to talk to, then yeah, get it off your chest. Tell somebody, a counselor. But, but if you want healing, if you want healing, if you want a whole heart, Confess, confess your sin to each other, to the people you've offended. And pray for each other. In other words, get right there, and you will be healed. Do you know what I think is really interesting? Is that he actually suggests, it's in the original language, it's, there's a suggestion here that some of you are sick because of guilt. You have relational disharmony, and it is literally disharmonizing your whole heart, your life, your body. You are sick. There's a 
physical aspect to your emotional and spiritual brokenness. You are sick because you have allowed a, a, a relationship to fester, to go bad, whatever. It's a boss, a friend, a neighbor, whomever you wronged. And God's saying, you've got to sort it first. Do this so you can be healed. It's going to allow your body to recover. I wonder how many people are popping pills today that are just taking that extra step to try and relieve themselves of something that only a clear conscience can heal, that only making restitution. And again, you cannot deal with what they decide on their end. You just choose on your end to do right. Can I tell you how personal this is? Um, I have a very active conscience because I was, again, in a church world that brought up all my sins and let me face them weekly, and so I got to confess them. But let me just tell you, there was a long season where I got tired of that system and I just realized it wasn't working. There needed to be more. And I went through some really painful stuff. And then during college, I had made a turnaround where I had done some investigation. I was researching and just trying to figure out what is real. What is real? Which real God? What is the real religion? Is there a God? Is there a real belief system out there? And how did this all come to be? And studying some of the brilliant minds of the past who have gone in the direction of, hey, this didn't just happen. There is just no way this could happen accidentally. And anyway, there's some brilliant people with all different perspectives, but I was so taken by the transformation and the lives of people who are fully invested in following Jesus and the way that it makes them the best human beings on the planet. I was so taken by that, and I evaluated against the other religions and the other faith systems, and I literally came back to this understanding. I want to know this God, but I, I have to know him on his terms. I have to understand, and I have to approach him according to his plan, because it's his world. Either he is or he isn't. If he is, then I have a real obligation to figure it out and come to him. And as I was doing this, I also realized that I had a whole bunch of junk that I didn't want to deal with, and I didn't want to tell anybody, and it just kind of sat there. And it made my heart callous, like that it does. And it made my heart feel like I couldn't be right with God, like it does. And so I began to go through and make lists of the things I wanted to make right, and I began to literally have to approach those people. And here's the deal. Some of you, you couldn't begin to unpack all the guilt you have in your heart in one day. So here's my suggestion. When we pray today, and when you have time in your quiet space with you and God, you just want your conscience to clear, then you begin to make a list of the most pressing things that you feel like, I need to deal with that one. Can I just tell you that the Holy Spirit had to bring things to my mind years later that I wasn't equipped or ready to deal with in the moment, that he would just bring up. And still today, I come across moments where I'm like, oh man, I never really handled that well, and I didn't make it right. I would suggest that you begin to just make a list. And so I just began to get a hold of people and have little meetings. And for the ones that I knew and I could deal with, I did. For the ones that I couldn't, I tried to approach it the best way possible to feel like I had dealt with it, owned it, and I could walk away from it with a clear conscience. And I'm telling you, folks, my heart started to come alive again. I started feeling this guilt just kind of melt away. As, as I was able to confess to God my sin and, and to the other person my harm to them and own it, there was some healing that took place that literally allowed my conscience to clear and my mind to clear and my heart to empty that I was feeling once again alive to the voice of God that had been so long silent in my heart. I just want to tell you, what we reveal, God can heal. 
what we reveal, God can heal. And the goal of confession is not just a clear conscience, it's a changed life. And that's what God wants to do in your heart. As we deal with this in this closing prayer, I, I just want to invite you. Do the thing that you're prompted to do most by the things you've heard or the scriptures you've read or the way God is kind of whispering to you today. Make a list and begin to walk through your process of healing your heart. God, let's move in that direction today. God, we come to you and we just ask right now that as our hearts begin to kind of come clean before you today, you, you know it. We can't hide it. It's like a kid trying to hide behind a couch think their parents can't see. You see it. You know it. You don't even know why. You even know why we do it, and we don't even know that. You know why we repeat it. We, we don't always know that. More than that, though, God, you know the remedy to a heart that is bottled up with all this guilt and that it's to unleash the cap and let it be healed. God, for everybody in the room today who's carrying this stuff, your heart for them is that they be whole. You said you came to set us free, and a person you set free is truly free. So for the ones that we can go back and work through, allow us to. For the ones that can only be from a distance because it's an ex or it's, it's a really weird situation and it's just not healthy to be, per then God, maybe a text or an email or, or a written letter. Just for those that maybe it's financial, that we would just have the courage to stand up and say, hey, here's what I did. I don't even know how I could possibly make it right. What, what can I do? God, that you would guide us in the appropriate steps. And it's not like a one way to do with everything, but God, you, you ask us to, first of all, open our hearts, confess, take ownership for it, and then to begin to reconcile in the best way possible, to be at peace with all people as far as we can on our end. And God, I pray we would begin to do that today. And with your head bowed for a moment, if you've got guilt about something that you know you just have carried for too long, first of all, can you bring it to your Father even here in this moment? God said if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive. And this is where you can do that here. And believe me, I'm going to let you go in just a moment. You can go deal with the rest. But confess it to him. That's why Jesus died to bring that healing to you and God in that brokenness you find yourself. And then I want you to pray, God, forgive me for all of these things. And even as you bring more to my mind, I will own them. I'll take responsibility and I'll ask your forgiveness. And then, and then, as I leave this place, give me insight in how to take the next step to bring healing between me and that person that I've hurt. That situation that's messed up that problem I created and God I'm going to trust you to lead me by your spirit place of freedom in Jesus name amen hey guys we're going to stand up today next week Father's Day we're going to bring back dad's uh, going to be some fun we're going to have some fun in the parking lot it's going to be fun in here stand with me we're going to worship together today and we're going to send you out celebrating let's sing
church for joining us this week. Have a good week. We'll see you Sunday.